One of the great themes that comes through in the Christmas story is that everything that took place was all as God had decreed. Everything that God had said would be so, is so. Now as we considered um, part of chapter 2 this morning, we, we saw the, the persecuted baby, we saw how the Lord Jesus Christ, even as a, just a young toddler, just a young child, uh, was already the subject and the object of much persecution and opposition. But we were greatly encouraged, or at least it encourages me, and I trust it encourages you to see that everything that Herod was planning was all fully open and known to God. And he was able to direct Joseph and even the wise men to thwart Herod's plans. We saw that God can use difficult and even frightening circumstances in order to direct us and guide us in the way that he would have us go. And we saw this great persecution that came upon the Lord Jesus Christ, even though he was only a young child. And we also saw again these Old Testament prophecies that are all being fulfilled, every single one. This just is increasing evidence as we read through the Gospels that this can only be the work of God. This can only be the Son of God that no single prophecy has been left untouched. God hasn't missed anything. Every single point is covered in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into this world. And even going into Egypt to escape Herod was in order that as they returned from Egypt, prophecy was fulfilled. And even the awful event of the massacre of those babies in Bethlehem and the surrounding area. All in accordance with God's most holy word. This book, the Bible, can only be the word of God. And it's all as God has decreed. And as we draw towards the end of this second chapter, as we look at these final five verses in chapter two of Matthew I just want again to point out some really helpful things that we can learn. I suppose in the Christmas stories are so familiar to us, uh, but of course it's mostly um, the stuff before this and in Luke's Gospel that we focus on. It's not very often in our Christmas readings in any churches that we get this far along in the second chapter of Matthew when we have our carol services and our nativity services and all of these things. Uh, this little section of the story is perhaps not read quite so much uh, as some of the others. And it's a great shame that that's the case. Of course, it's even an even greater shame that we tend to restrict ourselves to this just once a year. Um, we should concentrate on these much more throughout the year. So here we are in uh, verse 19 of Matthew chapter 2 a part of the story of Christ's early life, which perhaps is not as familiar and not as commonly read. The first thing I want to point out is the obvious from the opening five words of verse 19. Now, when Herod was dead, the wicked die. The wicked die. Persecutors die. 
Those who oppose Christ die. Those who oppose his people die. Those who act against the Lord's people die and go to their judgment. Herod wanted Christ dead with a vengeance, as we saw this morning. But Herod has died, and Jesus still lives. Herod's kingdom, such as it was under the Roman Empire, Herod's kingdom has long ago passed away. But Christ's kingdom has continued to grow day by day, month by month, year by year, decade by decade, century after century. The first century of the Christian church saw tens of thousands of believers put to death for the sake and honour of God in Christ Jesus. Even during the time that the New Testament scriptures were being written, many believers were put to death for the cause of Christ. Of course, to begin with, for the most part, it was the vicious emperors of Rome, but not them exclusively. Um, But Rome played a big part in uh, meeting out persecution against the Lord's people. Uh, Having said that, of course, many of the Jews themselves were against God's people and uh, the Apostle Paul, as Saul of Tarsus, was one of those who vehemently opposed God's people and persecuted them. Um, But it was largely the Romans who saw the death of Christian believers in the largest of numbers. Um, You might not be very au fait with Roman history, but many of you will have at least heard the name Nero. And he was one of the Roman emperors who was uh, very uh, vociferous in uh, taking his vengeance out upon the Lord's people, uh, putting them to death, uh, crucifying believers, others losing their lives for sport in the Roman arenas. Uh, Go home and have a read of Hebrews chapter 11 from verse 35 and see what a New Testament writer was able to record as was the testimony and experience of some of the Christian believers in his own lifetime. Vicious, barbaric persecution of God's people, even in New Testament days. And a century or so later, one of the early writers who's written work we still have access to. Uh, Many of you will have heard of his name, Tertullian. He would famously record, of course, that the blood of the martyrs is seed. And despite this great persecution against God's people, and despite the fact that some of them were being slaughtered in the most horrific ways, actually, rather rather than that be a great deterrent, and, and surely this is going to stop people from becoming Christians, Exactly the opposite happened. Uh, And the church continued to grow. Uh, And as uh, Christians were dispersed, as persecution came, first of all, that uh, persecution, of course, began in Jerusalem, and they dispersed, known and referred sometimes as those of the dispersion. And, of course, all that did was spread the gospel further. Everywhere they went, they spoke of Christ. 
and the church grew and spread despite the great opposition. The opponents of Christianity presumed that they could snuff out this religious sect as they saw it, but it only made believers bolder. It only made believers more evangelistic and even more were added to the church. You remember, uh, as we considered the Reformation, um, Latimer and Ridley in Oxford, October the 16th, 1555, as they were burnt at the stake. And Hugh Latimer was in his 70s. And those amazing words, we shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England that will never be extinguished. Amazing. And that candle hasn't been extinguished. Those who put Latimer and Ridley to death in Oxford all those centuries ago are long gone. The wicked are dead. The persecutors of the New Testament church are dead. The first persecutor of the Christian church in Herod the Great, he is dead. And a horrible death, he died too. He was ill for a number of years and accounts of his health by other historians uh, suggest to doctors today when they read uh, the descriptions of how he was, they suggest that he had some sort of very serious kidney disease and he died as a recluse because his body was riddled with and stank of gangrene. He died a pretty gruesome death. And he has died. And he's gone to his judgment. As have all the others who have ever opposed Christ. And who have ever opposed Christ's church. But Christ lives. The Christian faith lives. The Christian church lives. A year or so back we were studying Revelation and we saw there that all the believers who've died in Christ were safely gathering in glory, awaiting Christ's return. Safe. It is not death to die when you're a Christian believer. As Christians, we tend to be too short-sighted, too caught up in the here and now, living only for today, caring only about what's happening to me now. This is the way of the world and from it we should repent. It seems that times are getting tougher for us as Christians in the UK and Christians in general in the Western world. But Christ lives and his church will go on and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And if you're a Christian, those who oppose and persecute you now, if they remain in their sins, they will die. And after that, the judgment. And you, you will live and reign with Christ forever.
All of Christ's foes have died. All of the church's foes have died and gone to judgment. As will all those who today are saying and doing unspeakable things and who are desperately trying to silence the voice of the Christian gospel. But Christ will live and Christ shall reign and we shall reign with him. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you must look into the word and see this long view that the Bible gives you. Being so short-sighted that you can't see beyond today and all of its worries and all of its cares and all of its anxieties and all of its disappointments and all of its problems That is the place of despair and frustration and sorrow and disappointment. But to take the long view that the Bible gives you. That all those who are outside of Christ, who oppose us and persecute us, they will die. They will face their judgment before the living God. But you who are Christ's, With him you shall live and reign forever. And having that long view, having that biblical perspective on everything that's happening in this world will be of a great help to you when things get tough. And get tough they will. But if you're in Christ, all is well. All is well. The wicked will die and receive their judgment. But in the meantime, do pray that they might yet be saved. Second thing that's in this final section of Matthew 2 is the detour into Galilee as Christ returns with Joseph and Mary. Herod has died. It wasn't just Herod who was causing the problem. Look towards the end of verse 20. Those who sought the young child's life or death. There were those who were in cahoots with Herod. Uh, There were those who were in agreement with him. There were those who had an awful lot to lose if, if Herod was displaced. And they've all died. Not just Herod. Everyone who was on his side, everyone who was with him in just a few short years, they're all gone. God's removed them from this earth. And now Joseph receives a message to return. I want you to notice how God reveals things to Joseph in stages very helpful to notice this because that's often how God works you see when the angel first appeared to Joseph uh, even before Jesus had been born he, he didn't open up this huge blueprint and say now Joseph it's going to be like this let me show you Bethlehem Herod Egypt back to Israel 
God didn't take Joseph through every single step all in one go. God revealed his will in steps. And at each point, it was for Joseph to put his trust in that and to believe God for that. And he did. He's a wonderful example for us in that. God doesn't reveal everything to us. I look back over my life, I'm rather glad he didn't. But he takes us in stages and we walk step by step by step in faith with our hand in God's hand. That's a wonderful example that Joseph gives us here. It's safe to go back to Israel, Joseph. So he goes back to Israel. But then he finds out that Herod's son is the king and fear fills him. It's okay, says God. You don't have to go back to the area where Archelaus is king. You can go back to Galilee. But Joseph didn't know that when he set off for Israel. But he had faith. That which God had revealed to him and made known to him, he took God at his word and acted upon it and went with it. Great example of how to walk step by step in faith and trusting God and taking God at his word. And they make the detour into Galilee. And it's an interesting episode. And there's an interesting phrase at the end of verse 23. He shall be called a Nazarene. Well, if you have one of these wonderful programs on your computer that allows you to do word searches or even phrase searches, uh, you could type in, um, he shall be called a Nazarene and ask that uh, search engine to search through the Old Testament to find you that phrase and it will come up with a blank won't find it because those precise words in that actual format are not found in the old testament so has matthew got it wrong is this one of those parts of the bible where all our detractors can say aha there you go no use of the bible you know it's full of contradictions well no uh, we can't put ourselves in that position Turn to Isaiah. We'll begin in chapter 9. Joseph is going to take Jesus and Mary to Nazareth in Galilee. So we begin in Isaiah chapter 9. Now there's a really well-known verse in chapter 9. It's verse 6. That tends to be the thing that we concentrate on. But let's begin at verse 1. Isaiah 9 verse 1, Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, in Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. For unto us, verse 6, a child is born, and unto us a son is given. In Galilee of the Gentiles. 
And then just a few pages over in chapter 11 of Isaiah and verse 1. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots. A branch. Now, this is a picture that's used several times in the Old Testament to speak of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jeremiah uses it a couple of times. Um, one example is in chapter 33 of Jeremiah, where he says, In those days and at that time I will cause to grow up, I will cause to grow up to David a branch of righteousness. He shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In those days Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell safely. And this is the name by which she will be called the Lord our righteousness. Branch of righteousness is the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's interesting because in places such as Jeremiah there, the Hebrew word for branch is not the same as the Hebrew word that Isaiah used back in chapter 11. It's a different word used in Isaiah 11 verse 1 where we have branch. In Isaiah 11 verse 1 the Hebrew word for branch is netzer and it has the same basic construction and origin as the word Nazareth. The branch Nazareth. And there's a very clear, for those who study Hebrew, which I don't, and those who know Hebrew really well, which I don't, they would look at that Hebrew word for branch, netzer. They would look at the, the word Nazareth and they would tell you, yes, there is a very clear link between these two words. So in the prophecy of Isaiah, we see that Galilee plays a place, has a part in in God's work, and this Netzer, the Nazarene, there's uh, a clear reference there. It's not obvious in our English translations of our Bibles, but in the original Hebrew, the link is there to be seen by all. And at every single point, this is what God has decreed, and everything is happening in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ fully in accordance with the word of God at every single point. Not one little detail has been missed out. It's all there as they go to Galilee and settle in Nazareth, which of course is the city where Jesus will grow up and will be his hometown as a carpenter. And finally, I want to point out that in all of these things, as Matthew brings this second chapter to a close, we see in these verses the preeminence of Christ. And I don't know whether you've noticed the way Matthew begins to talk about Joseph and the young child and his mother. Mary isn't named Mary once. And what you see that in, in, in the space of nine verses... Five times the young child is mentioned. 
And on four of those occasions, it talks about the young child and his mother. And it's the young child who's mentioned first. And it's the young child who is the focus. And it's the young child that Matthew wants you to see. And it's the young child that Matthew's drawing your attention to. This whole story is about this young child. Focus on this young child. Look at him. Follow him. Watch what's going to happen next because everything that I'm about to say next is all about this boy. It's all about him. And in exactly the same way as the apostles later in their letters would make much of Christ. You read through Paul's letters and in in some places, almost every other verse, Christ is mentioned because that's his whole focus. Speaking of Christ with great frequency and placing Christ at the centre of everything. And here Matthew is doing the same for us. In this story, don't miss this young child because it's all about him. And it all revolves around him. Jesus Christ is the focus and the centre. I have a question. Is he for you? This story is all about Christ. Is your life all about Christ? Your church going, the things that you do in the life of the church... Well, they're all good and they all have their necessary place. Being able to say that you found purpose and meaning in life, that's very good if you're a Christian. Discovering arguments to counter those who dismiss the Bible as a myth and who laugh at the thought of creation. Discovering arguments against those things, they can all be a very great help. But the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, this boy who is God. He is the centre. He is the focus. So in all the decisions and choices that you make as a Christian, Christ is at the centre of it all. Nothing must detract from him. Nothing must distract away from him. It's your personal relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, which must lie at the centre of everything. It's all about this boy who is God, who one day would be a man to take away the sins of the world. The writer to the Hebrews has these well-known words with which we'll conclude In chapter 12 of Hebrews. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Why? Why? So that we may run with endurance the race that is set before us. But how? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, 
despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. It all began with Herod when he was just a wee nipper. Lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Keep your eyes on the Saviour. Because it's all about 